This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. I got up and got my own. He got up and got his own. Get up and get your own, fatty. (laughs) This is not going well. Hello, America, and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. So glad that you are here today. We, uh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, it's a wonderful life. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, Elf Christmas Story and it doesn't and count. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, either Home Alone. Doesn't count. What's your favorite Christmas movie? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Christmas Good. Twist. Because we have no. Oh, no. Christmas Isisical. Yeah. <laughs> Dave and Tomorrow on the Wonderful Worlds too. Jeez. Nice. Nice. Unbelievable. We, we have a guest on who's going to tell us some cool stuff about Jimmy Stewart and, in particular, things about It's a Wonderful Life well, that you, you that you've never heard before. Well, what are you, a screw? Yeah. Uh, don't you know me? Are you working for Potter? We go there right now. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. Cause we have one. I will beat my drum. I have made my choice. We will overcome. Cause we are one. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hello and welcome to the uh, welcome to the program. I was reading an article um, about uh, Jimmy Stewart, this new book that's out called Mission, and I learned some stuff about Jimmy Stewart that I really wasn't aware of, and especially um, what was happening with him when he came back to film. Glenn, don't you know me? Yeah, Don't you know me, Glenn? So when he was filming that, he and Frank Capra were going through PTSD, which nobody talked about back then. Mm -mm. And Jimmy Stewart was quite an amazing guy. Robert Mattson uh, is the author of Mission, Jimmy Stewart and the Fight for Europe. And we wanted to get him on. Uh, Robert, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So, so tell, me, tell me what we don't know about Jimmy Stewart. Well, uh, in the context of It's a Wonderful Life, um, he had just come back from the most horrific combat experiences over the skies of Europe that you could imagine. Now, and he, was not, he, he was not a, you know, as a celebrity, he could have gone and done anything over in World War II. But he didn't. He really signed up and was like, no, I really want to fight. Yeah. Um, he, the War Department and Hollywood both wanted to keep him stateside, of course, because nothing good could come of a, um, of a Hollywood star being shot down over Germany. So That's for sure. uh, he had to buck those headwinds to get overseas, and he, he managed to do it. It took him two years. And so what, what exactly was his job when he was uh, over there? What, what did he do? He... You well, said in the skies over Europe. What, was he, a, he wasn't a pilot, was he? He was a pilot. He was, he was a, a pilot. bomber pilot. Wow. Um, he, uh, 
he had been a private pilot in his Hollywood years. That was the first thing he mm. did when he earned a Hollywood paycheck, was learn to fly, and then he bought his own plane. And so he was ready. He wanted to serve, and he wanted to serve mm. as an Army pilot, and that's exactly what he did. And at first he was training other pilots stateside. It was eating him alive. He wanted to go fight. And, and finally he did get a combat assignment as a squadron commander in a heavy bomb group that went over to England in 1943. This guy was almost too good to be true, wasn't he? I mean, an American patriot, American hero, a tremendous actor, married for to the same woman virtually his whole life, right? No, no major scandals that we know of. Uh, and I, if we do, we don't necessarily want to know about them, Robert. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is a book that I, I want to read this over the Christmas holiday because I love Jimmy Stewart. And uh, uh, is this is this are, are you are you going to wreck him for me? No, I'm not going to wreck him for you. I, I went into this project neutral on the guy. I mean, not a fan per se. Everybody loves It's a Wonderful Life. Well, almost everybody. Um, and, but I grew to admire him tremendously through learning about the 20 combat missions that he went through and what he was like when he came back, you know, refusing to talk about what it was like over there. So, so he, when he's on the set, because Frank Capra, what was Frank Capra doing during the war? Frank, Frank Capra was making patriotic films, um, films to let America know what was going on overseas, who the enemy was, um, what our boys were doing over there. Um, so his experience wasn't like Jim's, but Frank was away for four years from Hollywood, and Jim was away for five. I mean, Jim slammed the door on Hollywood and left it behind. And so he's coming back as really a middle-aged man. There's a photo in the book that's a before shot in 1942 of this fresh-faced Jimmy Stewart, just got his wings, second lieutenant. Two years later, he looks like a haggard old man from, by then it was like 14 combat missions in three months. So um, when by the time they reached the set of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, they were both feeling this is make or break for me. If I don't make this work, my career is over. They were both thinking that. And so the set was extremely tense. It was nothing like you would think it would be. So it was it was shot in California. The snowy scene is happening in California in the middle of June, right? They're in the Mojave us. Desert at 90 degrees. That's right. In the desert. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and I got the impression from what the story, I, I don't even remember where I read this, um, but it was about your book. And I got the impression that, that was, it, was, it was just rife with problems. Well, um, that particular scene was shot at the RKO ranch in Encino. And they had to really invent a new type of snow that could withstand the heat and could still be slushy, could still look and feel like snow. So yeah, I mean, it was a tough shoot, but the whole movie, if you look at the movie, it's an extravagant picture with a tremendous number of setups. They recreated that whole main street of Bedford Falls. Um, a lot of interior shots, everything that was, the, all the bridge sequences where Clarence jumps in the water and Jim jumps in, those are all done in the studio, and that took weeks to get it right. Capra was a perfectionist. Uh, a lot went into that movie. And did they have any idea, did, did Jimmy Stewart have any idea of what that movie was going to be at the end of it? No, he was disappointed in how it turned out. Uh, he was always a populist in the sense that if the public liked his picture, he liked his picture. If the public didn't react like he wanted, then he didn't like the picture. 
and mm. uh, It's a Wonderful Life was made at, right at the end of the war. You know, it, a war-weary America, I don't think, was ready for this particular picture. And it took another 10 years before it was embraced, and that was by television. And that's when Jim started to warm up to it, when everybody else did. How did he change, how did the war change him overall as a man? Um, before the war, I spent a fair amount of time talking about his romantic adventures with A-list Hollywood actresses, and he went through all of them. <laughs> he, he, he was, was a player? Uh, really Jimmy a player. Stewart was a player? Big time. He told you he wasn't going to ruin him for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I had no idea. Yeah. A player, because, okay. Because here he is. He's six foot four and 140 pounds. And he thought he was Jeez, just this man. gangly guy that no one would find attractive. So he had to prove to himself that he was attractive. That was his pre war thing. Mm. But when he came back, he realized how superficial that was. He didn't need to prove that to himself anymore. He had also proved the other thing that he needed to prove, which, he was, which was that he was brave enough to represent the Stewart family. And that's what mission is really all about, is his, his family mission to serve their country. And he proved that to himself. So he came back as a, a mature person who had been seasoned by all this death and devastation and that's why he was ready to settle down, and, and he did it beautifully. And he also carved this career that emphasized the darker side of him that had come out of the war. This hardened, tough man came out of the war, and he started to play tough roles. What do, what do you mean his family? His, his family had a long history of war uh, oh, yeah. heroes? Oh, both of his grandfathers were in the Civil War. One of them was a hero of the second day of Gettysburg, uh, at Little Round Top, and the other one served with Custer in the Shenandoah Valley. And so, and that wow. grandfather, mm. also named James M. Stewart, uh, lived into the 1930s, and Jim learned all about war from someone who saw Lee surrender to Grant at Appomattox. Um, do, do these kind of guys exist anymore? Yeah, I've been asked that, and Pat Tillman comes to mind. You know, uh, someone who just walked away from a very successful public career to serve. But they are few and far between. But even in Jim's time, they were few and far between. Because most people, they just, they would do their rounds and they would be seen in the uniform. They would raise money, raise awareness and, and, and not actually go in and fight. Was it... Was he a, a believer in what he was fighting against or just a believer of what he was fighting for? Boy, that's a great question. Um, both. I think both. Uh, he was a tremendous believer in the cause, and it was the happiest time in his life. He said that often. He said that uh, he was never happier than doing this righteous thing for this righteous cause. He, that was, I mean, being a pilot in World War II... It was quite surprising that he lived, honestly. I mean, how many missions did he fly? He flew 20 exactly. And at one point on one of his missions, on February 25th, 1944, an anti-aircraft shell hit the flight deck of his B-24 Liberator and blew a hole between his feet two feet across. And his map case fell out oh. the hole and went down to Germany. And that was one mission too many. When he landed that plane, it cracked in half. I mean, that's just, that was his closest brush with death, but he had more than that. 
And that's what people just don't know. That's the guy. That's his backstory when you watch a wonderful, It's a Wonderful Life. He had just been there, and he had just done that. Robert Matson, um, thank you for the time that you uh, spent on, on looking at this man's life and telling us the truth about who he really was. Mission, Jimmy Stewart and the Fight for Europe by Robert Matson. Great Christmas gift for anybody like me who just loves Jimmy Stewart and uh, loves a good story of history that you've never heard before. Robert Matson, Mission is the name of the book. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Glenn. You bet. God bless. Um, all right, I want to tell you about our, uh, our sponsor this half hour. It is Goldline. Yesterday, the Federal Reserve increased the key interest rate. They've been threatening to do this forever. Anybody remember, this is another one of the predictions, Stu, that I know that, uh, I know that you have written down someplace. I said they won't raise the interest rates until... Uh, uh, the next president has been elected and the next one is coming in. That's when they raise it. And here we are. Here we are. Um, They have been holding back uh, for as long as they possibly could and then some. You're going to start seeing the truth about the economy and you're going to start seeing people on television start freaking people out. You can sleep with confidence if you call and get the important risk information about gold and silver. See why gold and silver is the the gold standard, why it is the thing that the world always runs back to. Gold line. The only people I trust, they've been in business for over 50 years. Gosh, I've been saying that for a long time now. It's probably closer to 60 years now. Goldline, 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. Call them now. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Glenn Beck Program. Do you want to know the truth? about that amazing story about the Santa that the kid died in the arms and it was lovely and the Santa and the Santa... And we don't know the truth yet. Right, because we, right. we can't get Santa on the phone. We've been trying to get Santa on the phone and uh, do a story on him and it's such a wonderful story. And um, John Ziegler, we're going to try to get him on the phone because he says that is a fake story. He, 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 he has questions about it, is the way I would put it. 
Um, and Same questions you guys had. Well, because we always, it's funny, Pat and I, uh, you know, we uh, do Pat and Sue uh, every, every day on, on this network. Uh-huh. And when, we, when, when <laughs> these stories the come up, every once in a while, them. every once in a while these nice stories come up. And without fail, between myself, Pat, and Jeffy, yeah. we wind up always ruining them because all we see is like how the the nice story is actually a scam or how in re- maybe they're all going to get hit by a bus when they walk out the front door after the nice ending well that's the way we see the, the world kid apparently. dying in santa's arms with his parents right. it, it told to wait outside it just seemed a little preposterous what parents are going to say yeah go ahead santa we I, the last few minutes we wanted to spend with you and we'll just be out here <laughs> We're going to go down to the cafeteria. Let us know when he dies, and we'll come back up. See, I didn't see it that way. I saw it with the door open and them by the door. Uh Uh-huh. You know. That one, that part of it did seem immediately odd to me. I'm just thinking of myself with my kid, who's seconds away, apparently, Mm. from from dying. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Why don't you just go in there, Mr. Stranger, um, uh, and I'll stay. Does it look like it didn't happen at all or just not the way he said? We should have him on to outline the whole thing. Um, I don't want to ruin the I mean, I I will say this, though. It does appear to be that his case that he admitted was like, this just doesn't sound right. Let me give you why I don't think it sounded right. That was the article he wrote for media. Um, Now, the original source for the article, the newspaper, is saying uh, because the uh, the story does not meet the newspaper's standards of verification, we are oh no longer standing by the veracity. <laughs> of the- <laughs> so now this great Santa. Wow. By, by the way, this is a positive. Uh, you know, because people get, oh, man, I can't believe you're ruining this great story. The kid died. If this story is untrue, the kid didn't die. <laughs> this is a good story. We right. hope it's a lie. Right. Right. In reality, the nice warm feeling you me- you felt when you heard the story and the nice little cuddly Santa moment does not outweigh a dead kid. So good, yeah, why I would, hope it's a lie. I've seen the Santa. Now, not do any interviews, but I've seen the camera around the Santa. Why wouldn't this Santa just come out and say, that wasn't true? It's unclear. Does it look like Santa is involved in this? <laughs> I don't think, the, certainly the real Santa is not involved in this. Right. Um, th- this particular but Santa's gentleman, helper. We talked about how, yeah. what a great Santa's helper he was. Uh, it is, a, it was Santa a dramatic story. make his coat red for a reason. Um, I mean, we can go and go through this, but I think we should, <laughs> well, let's John have is on. the guy to, to lay this out because he, he will do it and he will do it with lots of energy. Which will be fun. Um, but it's an amazing story, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things. And look, we, we did the story on the air, too. That was great. But it, it's something that happens in media all the time now, because you hear these stories. And I'll tell you, when you hear that story, it was, seemed unbelievable to me, but my assumption was, well, look, it's everywhere. Somebody must have fact-checked mm-hmm. it. That's your first thought. And, you know, we come at it from a skeptical eye when it comes to politics and things like that, because, you know, we, we know their spin so well. When it's, a, when it's a story that doesn't go down any partisan lines or it doesn't seem to have an overt narrative, you're more likely to just be like, oh, wow, what a nice story. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can't, as John is saying, you can't, we don't know the truth for sure yet, but it does, it does seem like there's at least inconsistencies in the story. And it, at the very least, it may have been embellished quite a bit. You're a Grinch. This is, this is why no one wants to go after and, and try to disprove it, right? 
Right. Why would you disprove this wonderful story wonderful where, this, where, where story. a kid is dead? What a wonderful holiday wish yeah, I for I don't everyone. like the ending. I don't like the ending. Right. It was terrible. Mm, it was. But it does not seem to be that there was a kid who meets this <clears> description <throat> who died in the area around this time, which is a problematic part of the story. Was there a really, was there a really sick kid in there in that area at all? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have a <clears throat> sick kid uh, registry. I don't have that. But I mean, if there is access, this is all to a hoax. That's saying I just wanted a gig. Mm. Well, the, it gig. seems like some of the uh, the thought is maybe uh, Santa, who runs a Santa business, might as well uh. Santa business to increase. <laughs> Look, that's no, also who's going to hire this Santa if he's. Oh, lying about sick kids. Who oh, but I mean, this guy hasn't eyes. had a Santa. thousand calls for, for gigs after. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Right, but you're gonna if you're found out, you're doomed. Shave your beard, dude. Everybody recognizes you the minute you walk in. If you found out you're doomed, did you live through the 2016 election? Uh, that does not right. seem to be the standard anymore uh, on either side oh, of the Santa aisle. lying about dead children. <laughs> I think that's oh, a little. This guy. This guy will be our next Secretary of State. <laughs> with that resume oh man he's gonna be a champion okay. in this country but let's get john on and see if he's yeah. available now uh, something else too remember yesterday i told you the story about the real saint nicholas and the real um chris kringle Read that up too no oh. uh and uh today i want to show you they always say Oh, it was the night before Christmas. That changed everything. That changed... Well, it actually did. And you've read that poem a, a million times, and there's a couple of things in there that you have no idea why they're in there, and you just went along with it. And it totally changes the meaning when you understand it. Next. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. break i am uh i'm working on uh, i'm working on my first real serious portrait uh it is almost you, you just and the make more out, i work on it the worse it gets you can just make out that's work. patrick stewart yeah yeah no it's not patrick it does stewart. not look like patrick stewart and it, it doesn't look and it doesn't look like putin either no it's, it doesn't it's supposed to look like well, george washington and it's it becoming less and less like george washington yeah, it looks you, like washington when do you type well, you you uh, paint on no jacket required in the corner. <laughs> so you really do think Phil Collins is what you're thinking? There's a little Phil Collins there. In the air tonight. Uh, it was looking a lot like Vladimir Putin about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. It was very Vladimir Putin. Well, like It was Putinish for a little while. Think about it this way. There's, what, six billion people on Earth? And like, there's only five or six people that it looks more like than the guy you're trying to paint. So that's not bad. <laughs> so, I mean, you... It, well, wait. There's like There's 5 billion, 900... When I finish it, it will look like... It will look like... It's, it's First of all, it's George Washington's life mask. 
And so when I finish it, it will look like George Washington. It's just, uh, it's... Uh, is it, when, it, when you, fi- I, I don't know the process here, but when you finish it, do you put a photo of George Washington over it or something? I mean, how is it going to get close to it? <laughs> You suck. <laughs> I'm going to send my kids over. They'll help you with uh, some of the details and stuff. I will say this. I couldn't come anywhere close to that. Like if I... No, I couldn't either. I mean, that's good. Is this like a thousand dry... times better than I could ever do in my wildest dreams. Is this like dry cleaning? Like when you're done, do you send it out to another painter and they finish it yes. up? Yes. Yes, it is. I, I'll send it upstairs to the art department and go, <laughs> make this look like George Washington, will you? <laughs> and, uh... Is one of his eyes collapsing? Is that what's happening there? On the... No, I'm not finished with it. I, oh. So this is George Washington's death mask, could you say? I'm uh, sorry, life, life mask. mask. Yeah, this yeah, is when he yeah, was dead. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't have a life mask? I think right? everybody's got it. When, when I'm finished with this, and after I've paid an artist to fix it, um, you guys are just going to be wowed. You're going to be wowed. Are we? No. Uh, I look forward to that day. No, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Maybe a long, long wait. You think in the current uh, political environment, though, it's probably smart to get into the habit of painting Vladimir Putin? I think so. Uh, I could have. I could have. Yesterday afternoon, it looked very much yes, like Vladimir Putin. Yes, it did. And I could have stopped. And sold it as Vladimir Putin. I don't think it does now. That does not. No, it changed his face. It doesn't look like Putin. No. Doesn't really look like Washington. There was about three angles yesterday in your your office where it was all Putin. Yeah, it was. It's amazing how, because I'm just learning shading and stuff like that. It's the first portrait I've ever done. You'd never know it. And uh, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) It's amazing how you make little changes and it completely changes into somebody else. It's incredible. Uh-huh. Okay, so twas the night before Christmas. When did Americans start to um, bring uh, Santa Claus or St. Nicholas into our ritual? Do you have any idea? When did we even start celebrating Christmas? Eight, Mid-1800s. Do you remember the, right, the exact year, Jeffy? First. Uh, if I remember right, we celebrated in 1805. No. First, first state to do it, I think, was Louisiana. I think it's around 1835 or 39, somewhere in that area. Um, it's we pretty st- low-key, though, though. Yeah, we were just century. talking about it in 1805. Yeah. So it was not something that we celebrated. We found it garish. We found it really offensive. Yeah. St. Nicholas was brought over by the guy who wrote um, the uh, Ichabod uh, Crane. What was, what was, that? was that the Legend of Sleepy Hollow? That's Washington Irving, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So Washington Irving... Poems are not my specialty, but yeah. I, I think so. Washington Irving uh, wrote something for New York and wanted to make something very, very American. And so he wrote... The first appearance of, of Santa Claus uh, was made by Washington Irving. I think it was about 1805, but he was traditional uh, St. Nicholas. He had the bishop staff and, and, you know, the vestments and everything else. He was nothing like St. Nicholas is now or Santa Claus is now. So when they changed him, when he became the Santa that we know, it was because of Twas the Night Before Christmas. And there's a couple of things that were fundamental that I have missed, even though I've read every word of this poem. I've missed it, didn't realize that, that just didn't even think of it this way. 
let's go to here. I was in my kerchief. Ma, or Ma was in her kerchief. I was in my cap. I flew to the window on the breast of the new fallen slow, snow, gave luster of midday to object alone. And what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. A little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Can you tell me, can you tell me anything interesting about that? that? Describe him. Describe what, what, what just happened. Uh, there's a little driver. He's lively, he's quick. Must be St. Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was snow. Uh, and a miniature sleigh mm-hmm. and eight tiny reindeer. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never taken that to mean anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Just, a, just a sleigh. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It was a miniature sleigh. Santa Claus is small. Santa Claus is like an elf. In this story, Santa is about three feet tall. And the reindeer and the sleigh fit a three-foot-tall elf. So it's literally a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer and a little old driver. So he's an elf. Uh, then he goes, uh, Prancer, dash away to the full sleigh full of toys in St. Nicholas and two... Um, down the chimney, St. Nicholas came with a bound. The reason why he is miniature in this is because this was, he needed to fit down the chimney. And how do we get him into the chimneys? So this is an American invention. This is critical. He was dressed all in his fur from head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his sack, his pack. Why is that important? Any idea? We're so used to Santa being this way. Think of it this way. This is the replacement of St. Nicholas. What's St. Nicholas? What's he dressed as? Well, don't know, probably a poor man. St. Nicholas is dressed as St. Nicholas, a bishop. Well, not a He's got the man. golden bishop. He's got the bold, golden staff. <laughs> He's wearing very expensive vestments. He's wearing the bishop's hat. Yeah. So this is anti-Catholic. Yeah. First of all, let's take the Catholicism out of him. Okay. And let's not make him remember what the church in, in, 18, in the 1800s, how was the church viewed, not just Catholicism, how was the church viewed in America, the old European church? You weren't going if you were just a regular person. You were going if you were a landowner. If you were a regular person, you didn't even have a seat in the church. It was for the landowners. So you weren't going to church. They didn't care about the poor people back, you know, in the 1700s in, in England and, and in Europe. So this guy is not investments. If you were poor, how would a poor man make clothes? You'd butcher animals and you'd make their skin into your clothes. 
So this is saying he's a poor guy. He looks like a peddler. Mm-hmm. He's a poor guy. Not when we think of him in the in the furs, in the red suit, and the, and the furs and everything else. We think of it now, like today, in that beautiful, you know, velvet. No, this is a guy who was a working stiff, lived out in the woods, made his own way, was an elf. Um, and and had to make his own clothes, and he made his own clothes. He wasn't. He didn't even have the money to go and and have a loom. He was a guy who was just going to skin an animal and make clothes out of that. So he's just like you. That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, his eyes, how uh, his twip, uh, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow. A beard on his chin was white as snow. The stump of a pipe he held in his teeth and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. I've always read that and I've thought how politically incorrect this is now. Santa is smoking. This is really politically incorrect for an entirely different reason. Any idea what it might be? Uh, did the bishop not smoke? Nope. Or the stump of a pipe. Stump of a pipe. Yeah. Why? Why do you think the stump of a know, pipe? The stump of a pipe that'd be it'd be broken and and used a bunch of times by other people, right? What kind of pipes did uh, did aristocrat uh, aristocrat? They had the big long ones. In there. They had the big long clay pipes. Yeah. Okay. And you would use them, and if you were rich, you would use them, and then you would throw them in the fireplace, okay? Then they had those big, long, white clay pipes. Poor people would, would go into the fireplaces of people's houses who had money, and they would grab the pieces, and they would smoke with just a little stump of the pipe, or... You would smoke a pipe for so long and you just keep breaking off the, the stem until there was nothing left. So it's the stump of a pipe. It's right up again saying, this guy is really poor. One of you. He's one of you. He's one of you. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't until the turn of the century that we started. It was actually the Civil War started to give us um, the look of of um, uh, Santa Claus that we're starting to recognize, you know, now, uh, so making him look a little more like the Santa we know. The guy who drew the Santa during the war for Harper's, what it was it, Harper's Bazaar or whatever, was 21 years old. And he is the one who gave us Santa's workshop. He's the guy who gave us uh, answering the list and then it was Coca-Cola. And the only thing with Coca-Cola was um, they made him... That was uh, until, what, 1930? Yes, it was in the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And that's, there was an interesting thing about what Coca-Cola did to Santa to change him. And I'll tell you about it here in just a second. First, our uh, sponsor, uh, this half hour, uh, is uh, Simply Safe. Simply Safe has a just a tremendous home security system. It, it, there's nothing more important than your family's safety. The holiday season um, 
you know, people break into homes all the time. They're desperate, and uh, some people just want your stuff. Now is a great time to get the protection that your family deserves. The company I recommend is Simply Safe, and the home security system is the Defender Package. Right now, you can get $200 off, which is a savings of $200, but it means that it's $399. I mean, think about how much money these companies are making by charging you 40 and 50 and 60 dollars a month for home security. You own this for $399 and there's it's wireless and there's no contract and it's 14.95 a month for the 24/7 monitoring. simplysafebeck.com. Go there now. It's not going to last long. The defender package simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. The Glenn Beck program. Mercury This uh, Santa story, you're going to be able to um, hear all about on the next His Story, which airs Tuesday, 5 o'clock, only on The Blaze, the story of St. Nicholas, the story of Santa that you have never heard. How did we get where we are with Santa? And the controversies of Santa that were happening in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. It's fascinating. Um, Santa had three, in America, had three big moments. First, besides being introduced in 1805, um, and then still being St. Nicholas, being the bishop. Santa then gets a revision as a little elf by um, the author of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Then Harper's Bazaar puts him, makes him full size, puts him in a sleigh, has the reindeer, but generally still looks Kind of poor. and One of you. One of you. Still one of you, okay? And he's out visiting the troops in the 1860s. And that's where you're really starting to get this. Then you get the letter writing from the pictures in Harper's Bazaar and everything else. Same artist, 21 years old. The next time we get a major revamp of Santa, and it's the one that lasts till today, is Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola did not change him all that much. What they did is think about, think about those Coca-Cola ads. How does Santa look? Jolly. Jolly. Uh, How's he dressed? The red suit. Red and white. Yeah, the suit, right? Yeah. Yeah, the boots. Uh, right. He's big. It's more he's, traditional than... He's big. He's fat. He is wearing beautiful furs. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's wearing the red and white, and it's luxurious. It's not, right? it's not the chimney sweep. Correct. He's not all covered in soot. He is luxurious. Big, beautiful beard, everything else. This is an image because it's the Great Depression. Uh. The artist can't even draw the Coca-Cola bottle in his hand. Coke insists that they... Put the bottle in his hand alone. 
and Santa changes forever. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.